Horror Brightness, a podcast about horror video games. My name's Ali. I'm joined by my friend James. James, say hi to everyone. How's it going? <laughs> Fuck. <laughs> okay, we outlaw how's it going, then suddenly we're into how's it going. I can't keep up. Um, just living, dude. Just, just living. Just living. And <laughs> today, we're living our best lives because we're fucking talking about the music of Silent Hill. More like silent chill. Silent chill. We're chilling deep. <laughs> um, yeah, so we've been talking about doing this for a while, and we're actually going to do it. Mm. We are talking about the soundtracks to the various Silent Hill games. Um, it's quite a bit to talk about, too. There's a lot to talk about. And this is also kind of serving as the launch of our side podcast that we're doing as a patreon exclusive called zero brightness plus um we've kind of already soft launched it there's a couple episodes up on our patreon but basically with every episode we're doing like a supplemental episode that's you know 30 to 40 minutes and we either talk about another topic that's relevant to the episode or we just give some recommendations or it's gonna vary but yeah it's always basically there's an extra kind of half episode or third episode of content um, that goes it's with like the episode. DVD bonus tracks yeah. <laughs> or exactly. like the multimedia on the multimedia CD that you bought in 1998. Yeah, totally. The extra video mm-hmm. forever long. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, and so <laughs> the way that we're going to do this episode, which is not going to be a recurring thing, so don't get scared. Um, but basically we're doing the public episode as kind of a teaser for the zero brightness plus series. So we're going to talk about the first two silent Hill soundtracks, the musical style, the background, give some recommendations, et cetera, et cetera. And then the second two, the silent Hill three discussions are going to be their own separate episode. That's going to be Patreon exclusive. And that's going to be the, maybe the third or fourth episode of zero brightness plus. Also, you know, we're going to continue talking about the soundtracks when we review the sub, the the other games in the series, too. So when we finally get to Silent Hill 5, we'll, we'll probably do an, a soundtrack episode on that one, too. Right, exactly. Because as you may or may not know, Yamaoka kept making music for these games even after he stopped directing or, you know, developing these games. So there's a whole bunch more to talk about that have great soundtracks. And yeah, so this is going to be part of a series that we're starting here and then continuing on the Patreon. If you want to hear that, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness and sign up. There's no minimum. Basically, you sign up to give us whatever you can, and then you get to hear the extra content. Um, There's going to be other extra content as well um we're working on a soundtrack stream we're working on some merch uh we are working on some other stuff i'm gonna make at least one maybe multiple playlists based around these music of silent hill episodes yeah totally we're gonna be throwing out recommendations hot and heavy and unless you can take notes really fast you're probably not gonna be able to keep up so yeah we'll definitely have some playlists for you guys to check out um there's some obscure recommendations that you're gonna (laughs) you know you're either gonna want to check out to see how dumb we are or you're gonna want to check out to see there's some cool music out there i don't know all the death metal tracks are me (laughs) i recommended those yeah james is on this death metal kick um i don't know (laughs) check out piss grave gamers (laughs) oh my god 
<laughs> I don't think gamers need any more edgy content to get into, James. Like I said, I think everyone needs to just take a shower and listen to the new Angel Olsen record. <laughs> Come on. I, I read this uh, study recently that um, extreme music makes people happy. It's not a violent urge. It's a happy urge. All right, Captain Pissgrave. <laughs> so so anyway um yeah that's what we're doing with our patreon uh we're always going to keep making the main episodes of the show public for free but we are going to be leaning really hard into making extra content for patrons really pushing that side of it because we're just excited that people are interested enough to join up and we want to make it worth y'all's while so the music of silent hill is the best music it's some of my favorite music ever without any qualifications or any backtracking like it's some of the only soundtracks you know period even like film soundtracks etc etc that i would rank among like some of my favorite albums of all time Mm, totally yeah i I would draw this line in the sand if you think it sucks you probably have shitty taste Yeah, totally. Well, and especially in the context of video game soundtracks, like we've talked about yeah. it a little bit on the show, but I think a lot of them are not really uh, packaged well for a wider market release. Like, yeah. even if you play a game and you're like, wow, this music is great. If you listen to the soundtrack, it's often like kind of disappointing. Um, and, you know, that's because there's a lot that goes into making an album. You know, maybe people listening don't know about this aspect of it, but when you make an album, it doesn't matter if it's, you know, for a band or for a soundtrack or whatever, there's a whole bunch of stuff that goes into it, you know? Like, it's not just making the music, cobbling it together and releasing it. It's like, you have to sequence the album. You have to establish the flow of it. You have to decide, like, how the listener is going to hear it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, with a soundtrack, right. there's a bunch of extra uh, problems that, you know, get thrown into the ring. Well, especially game soundtracks. Yeah, for sure. Because they loop. Uh-huh. Or at least traditionally. Right. Well, and that's kind of something that's across formats, too, is that when you write this piece of music, you can write, like, a sound cue that's a certain length and that's meant to be played in full. So it could be anything from five seconds to five minutes, right? Like, yeah, but there's also stuff that's made to be used dynamically. So stuff is going to get looped stuff is going to get recontextualized. And, you know, ultimately it's up to the programmer or the editor to decide how the music is going to be used in that context. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So trying to make an album out of something like that has a lot of difficulties because you have to decide, okay, what's the canonical home listening version of this cue (laughs) that I wrote? Yeah. Right? And then you have to decide where is it going to be placed in a soundtrack and how's that going to flow, right? Like my favorite example that I've brought up on the show before is the Near Automata soundtrack, which just is a diarrhea dump of all the music they wrote for that game. And it's just like, <laughs> I bought it. I paid for it because the music in that game is so fucking good and it wasn't streaming anywhere. And I was like, if I don't listen to this in my PT Cruiser right now, I'm going to lose my goddamn mind. But I had to like download it, <laughs> download it onto my phone and make a playlist. Like it's fucking 2006 again, you know, like grandpa didn't like doing that and damn yeah i don't know it was weird it was a weird experience but 
<laughs> most of the Silent Hill soundtracks really stand out to me for having that extra consideration put into them. Um, there's an exception, yeah. and we'll get to it, but like, yeah, um, I I really appreciate that about these soundtracks. You know that that work was done. Um, another good example that I've brought up before is the Hyperlight Drifter soundtrack, and like mm-hmm. everything that that artist Disaster Piece does is like that. Like the Fez soundtrack is like that too. I mean, there's a ton of tracks because he's writing music for these long ass games, but at the same time, they're sequenced and they flow really well, and it's just a great album listening experience. Yeah, I think it helps that these musicians had like clout within their respective like companies or whatever mm-hmm. you know because Yamaoka is like producing and actually like working on these games too he's not just the musician so right i think he had the clout to kind of do his own thing you know right and because these are basically records yeah absolutely yeah. and another thing that really i like about the silent hill soundtracks is that they seem to fully explore a tension that exists within um like soundtrack work and scoring which is the tension between writing soundscapes and writing songs it kind of um uses the soundscapes as glue you know mm-hmm. and you would think that like mixing pop songs with industrial songs with soundscapes would be like jarring but I feel like overall these records like use the ambience as glue to put all these things together. It's one of the things that uh, one of my favorite bands, Old Man Gloom, does. Mm. Like those records are like half hardcore metal, post metal, or whatever the fuck they are, and then like half creepy ambience. You know what I mean? Yeah, totally. And I I second that recommendation. That band rips. Uh, yeah, <laughs> Old Man Gloom. Listen to that shit. Uh, rip, rip, Caleb. Yeah, R.I.P. for sure. Um, But yeah, I I totally agree with you about the Silent Hill music. And I think that it's even cool within the songs. These songs kind of have this dynamic feel to them. Like they emerge out of ambience and then they sort of play with whatever ambience was going on behind them. And a lot of times you get this mix of something that could just play in the background and complement what's happening on screen. Or it could be its Mm -hmm. own song that you actually sit down and listen to. And totally that's super hard to do. I mean, we've both done soundtrack work and scoring. Yeah. So like, you know that like, by that shit on vinyl. Yeah. Yeah. Sorry. I had to, dude, you had to. Yeah. It's credited to the grasshopper lies heavy, right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah. That soundtrack is fucking awesome. Uh, (laughs) yeah. Like when you sit down to write this music, you basically have like a path. there's a there's a fork in the road and you have to choose a path right it's like Mm. you can either make something that sits in the background and tries purely to complement the images it's set against or you can try and compose something that stands out on its own while not like destroying the images it's set against right and what's really cool about Silent Hill to me is it's like a master class in choosing both paths (laughs) and just Mm -hmm. like walking along them simultaneously somehow Cause like these songs are in the games and a lot of them will just pass right by you or you might be like, Oh, that's kind of yeah, cool totally. or whatever. But then you go and listen to them later and you're like, fuck, that's awesome. Like, yeah. well, you know, and I, I love how they managed to resolve that tension with just like good ass writing. Well, so like I kept having this like recurring thought while listening to these four albums. Uh, and Yeah. And like the one of the recurring thought was like, 
like where the fuck were these songs in the game <laughs> like because there's so many songs that like you know like there's like two records with of like trip hop songs here and i mean like where the fuck were all of them yeah well and that's kind of the magic it's the same as like okay the opposite effect that happens in silent hill 3 which we talked about a little bit in our silent hill 3 episode which is that on that album there's all these little interstitial very very short ambient soundscape tracks and like Mm -hmm. those are the ones that i was like where is this but then when i replayed the game most recently i was like oh i found them all but it's like they breeze past you. It's the same in like um, mm. Sound Hill 2 has some kind of brash, almost like hip hop stuff. It's not even trip hop anymore. It's just straight up like a fucking cash money beat from like 2000. And like, <laughs> I know a couple of those tracks are only in the game for like as long as you're in a certain area. And like, you can chill in that area and hear that whole song, but you're probably not gonna. So. It's like you hear 15 seconds of it in the game, but then you can go listen to the full like four and a half minutes of it. Mm. And I think that's that's another cool touch too. Once again, I think Sound Hill 2 and 3 especially are very like detail oriented, having little details that you can then fully explore later, either by playing the game again or listening to the soundtrack. And I love that. Yeah. So speaking of, um, what makes Silent Hill music stand out? I kind of made a little list, (laughs) a little love letter here, right? Um, So things about these soundtracks that stand out to me. First and foremost, it has contemporary artistic influences that it works into these great compositions. And yeah, that is to say that it wasn't just pulling from video games or its own medium, or it wasn't just pulling from classic film scores or something like that. Like it was like, bands and artists that were contemporary to the first run of Silent Hill games and they're being influenced by them and making music based on that yeah like have you heard the new Portishead oh my god (laughs) have you heard Mezzanine yeah exactly and you can hear in the compositions that there's that kind of excitement about current music and I think that's really rare especially for the music that he was inspired by and excited about right yeah there's very few um i would say another person that was heavily inspired would be like yuzo koshiro um the guy that did the streets of rage soundtracks yeah for sure uh, he was he was almost kind of like a trend creator in electronic music because of some of the stuff he did yeah for sure and i think especially like in the 90s when the first sound hill debuted uh that was very uncommon i think video games were either very very self-referential or just very very conservative you know yeah like well like the dragon quest guy (laughs) well that guy's conservative (laughs) on like three different layers and i find all of them objectionable (laughs) yeah but yeah i mean it is a good example it's like a big series by a japanese developer they're going to be looking at classical music classic film scores they're going to be looking at other video games so maybe like Mm -hmm. one video game came out and had an oddball reference but then that became canon so it's suddenly like okay well all the music sounds like this you know what i mean it's like how the nes had all these games that were very referential to 80s action movies and then oh totally that musical style just like stuck around for the next decade (laughs) yeah 
bootleg Schwarzenegger and bootleg Sylvester Stallone on every cover. Every once in a while, you get a Fabio, too. <laughs> oh, God. Well, there's the one game I think they actually had Fabio pose for. Yeah, I think it was Iron Sword. Yeah, that's actually Fabio. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it, it was more common for this just self-referential or just industry standard music to be in games. Not to say that there wasn't good video game music. There's a ton. There's tons of great video game music, but it didn't sound like this. Right. Know? And it yeah, wasn't created definitely. in this way. But yeah, this sounds like back in the '90s, MTV at two in the morning. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And it's like, that's how artists make music. They're inspired by things going on around them. They're inspired by things that are happening. And I think that's what sets these soundtracks apart is that like, it feels like a form of artistic expression by an artist with a very singular voice. Right. And that's always- And it's like their job to do it. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) for sure. And that's always, to me, seemed really special. Um, another big yeah. point for me was that it really found a sound and a style that pairs perfectly with the aesthetics of the game. Totally. Yeah. Like, that's another thing I think that sometimes video games still to this day lack, where mm-hmm. there's so much importance put on the visual style and that being distinct, but then the musical style is just let, left to like fall by the wayside. Yeah. I think that's also a reason why the the musical cues in doom 2016 were so hard hitting is is because the music just fit the visuals so well yeah totally well and even that's like its own thing now because like for years people have been pulling the you know heavy metal album cover visual style into games but yeah. then the music would just be like whatever and so people finally mm-hmm. wised up and were like oh what if we actually just had the music be heavy metal yeah exactly it's like that's fucking day one dude come on yeah yeah um but yeah like the music in these games and it changes with each game but it perfectly suits the visual style of the game it's gothic and dark but it's still like depressing yeah depressing but still poppy and accessible in its own way and another reason for that is that the music is insanely well integrated into the game mostly because for most of these games the composer akira yamaoka was also like directing the games and like working on the games Mm -hmm. so yeah they became really hard integrated into the game and they became super uh important in establishing like the atmosphere of the game totally um another stylistic point that makes these soundtracks stand out is that they're really an unlikely mix of influences so it's like dark 80s and 90s pop music with, you know, gothic, atmospheric music and like crazy experimental stuff as well. Like that mix, although there's some very clear antecedents to what he's doing, uh, that mix is really unlikely and just kind of came out of nowhere. So Yeah, well, it, 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 I think it just reflects his uh, like eclectic tastes. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. But it's just like so crazy. Like when you look back on it, you're like, how is this in a video game in 1998? <laughs> you know, or 99, yeah. whenever. It but came all, all those genres like have that underlying current, you know, of like sad kid kind of shit, you know, like it's, it's Heather as fuck. You know what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> totally. And we'll get into some of his influences <laughs> in a minute, but yeah, I just like, 
every time I reconsider these soundtracks, it's always striking to me where it's like, it's so cool that these different elements got put together. And I think it's part of what makes them stand out. Yeah, Um, totally. Another point is the instrumentation. There's an emphasis on rock and jazz instrumentation that was very uncommon at the time. So there's a lot of full band stuff with guitar, drums, and Rhodes keyboard, uh, which was really uncommon in video games, but really gave it its own distinct sound, you know? Mm-hmm. Like there's an emphasis on realism in the production as well. So even the electronic stuff kind of sounds dusty and old and physical. Uh, we talked a little bit about that, but we'll, we'll probably get into it more with the specific games, but um, they always try to do something weird with the drums. Yeah. It, it's either a drum loop or they try to make it sound sampled with effects or they're always just doing something weird with the drum mix. Yeah, totally. Well, that's another thing that makes them feel like albums or makes them feel like, you know, artistic expressions rather than just soundtracks is that there's care put into the production and it changes from album to album. There's clearly thought and planning that went into it, mm-hmm. which once again, if you're not a musician, you might not know that that's what you do. Like when you make an album, like <laughs> you contact a producer, you find a studio you want to go to, et cetera, et cetera. It's all about chasing a sound, you know? And yeah, I think it's totally. so cool to see it in, in these soundtracks they develop over the course of a few albums, just like a band would, you know? Yeah, for sure. Like Silent Hill one, it definitely has that like first record vibe. Oh yeah, <laughs> totally. A <laughs> little more, a little younger, a little more pissed off yeah (laughs) (laughs) kind of unsure of what you're doing (laughs) yeah no totally um so uh these soundtracks were all composed by akira yamaoka um he is a guitarist multi-instrumentalist game designer and producer so i just want to talk a little bit about him because talking about his musical influences and background i think helps kind of understand these soundtracks and put them into context. Uh, And also is going to start the fucking deluge of uh, music references and recommendations. (laughs) So also a little background. Uh, Yamaoka is Ali Senpai. (laughs) So all of his comments will be a little colored. (laughs) Yes. I do just want him to notice me. (laughs) One day, (laughs) one day. So uh, Yamaoka uh, <laughs> cites his biggest influences as Nine Inch Nails, who I'm just going to assume you're familiar with because they're famous. <laughs> um, Angelo Badalamenti, who is yes. the uh, composer who famously worked with David Lynch on pretty much all of his best soundtracks. Mm-hmm. And most notably the music of Twin Peaks, which is just its own rabbit hole that we could spin off and do for days um, yeah, talking about great soundtracks. Fire Walk With Me? Banger. Oh, oh that's in the list later, dude. You know it. <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Angelo's in there. Metallica, maybe kind of an oddball influence. Um, you know what I mean? Like, you might not expect him to say that, but there is a, a rock, hard rock, heavy metal kind of uh, component to these soundtracks. So I thought that was cool. Yeah, I did want to save that for later, but there is a teeny little tinge of butt rock every once in a while. Yeah. Well. So. Who better to cite than than like the kings of butt rock, Metallica? <laughs> uh, so he he also says Depeche Mode uh, makes sense. Totally makes sense. 
Um, if you're not familiar, which once again, you probably already are, but they're sort of the 80s goth daddies, kind of did a mm-hmm. post-punk electronic music, little bits of metal throughout the discography, um, mashup. I don't know about you, but I always got Depeche Mode mixed up with NXS. Uh, I did not. <laughs> no. <laughs> I really like both of those bands, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't do that. They're interchangeable to me. Uh, that's a very hot take that I super do not co-sign <laughs> and I'm just going to breeze past it. Hey, that's my new thing. Listeners. Also, when James does a really big hot take that just makes me deeply upset, I'm just going to breeze past it. I'm not going to feed the troll anymore. That was probably my most ignorant and unfounded hot take. Yeah. And I'm just going to breeze past it. Friend. We're all good here. Uh, <laughs> Uh, okay another uh, influence he cites um, and this is getting more into the 80s electronic uh, section of his influences which Depeche Mode is definitely a part of but um, he cites DAF who are 80s British kind of like hardcore electronic uh, band Um, they're pretty cool that's one I'm not familiar with. I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, yeah, you you definitely should if you like that sound. Um, another artist he cites you can clearly hear is um, Anne Dudley, who was a member of oh, Art yeah. of Noise. So Art of Noise were like an 80s kind of found sound, sample-heavy electronic music group. And later uh, in uh, their solo career, um, the artist Anne Dudley created a song that's basically just like proto silent hill music i sent it to you earlier james like yeah it's kind of like shocking yeah i had never heard it Uh, had you heard that before well so yeah there's a section in the middle that's real trip hop and it's been sampled by like a million people and that was immediately recognizable to me but i don't know if i've ever heard it in its original context yeah, that was that was my take too. The song is called Moments in Love. I had heard this there's a trip hop section that's heavily sampled and I think this was kind of a mm-hmm. hit. But if you listen to the whole song, it's wild because the opening is like sad solo piano music and then it turns into like yep. atmospheric twin peak shit and then it's a trip hop song and I was like, "Oh my god, in the span of like 5 minutes this literally covers like the entire sound spectrum of Silent Hill." <laughs> Yeah, without like the uh, like banging on trash cans and shit. Yeah, which is more the art of noise kind of thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. So uh, some more '80s kind of stuff. Uh, he cites Japan and specifically the bass player Mick Karn, which I think you had uh, you've shouted out in the past. Um, yeah, I mean, Mick Karn is a, a, a special guy, I guess. You know, he's like. Uh, you know fretless bass player but he's not like jerking off like Jaco Pastorius or something yeah, you know what I mean totally uh yeah like uh god to your rhythm section yeah and if you haven't checked out Japan they're like an 80s post-punk pop group their last album The Tin Drum is like an all-time fucking banger classic I still listen to it all the damn time yeah. great band um Mick Karn also played a uh, Travis Bean fretless bass oh. on their coolest records Ooh. so that's that's He's nice. in that metal neck master race. Oh my god. <laughs> Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah, he's in the broken back club. You guys have fun. <laughs> Dude, I threw my back out yesterday. <laughs> I'm sure you fucking did, Holding man. my guitar. <laughs> <laughs> oh, wow. You gotta take care of yourself, <laughs> goddammit. I cut that shit out a long time ago. <laughs> That's funny. 
anyway, Anyways. another 80s kind of pop synthy band um, that he shouted out is Visage, who are a little more mm. obscure, but absolutely worth checking out. Um, top level, like obscure British 80s synth pop. And this is like besides the stuff he is like directly shouted out in the game. Right. So this is stuff that he's cited in interviews as being influential on his songwriting. Yeah. So that's why I thought some of these were cool because it's not all what you would expect. Like it's it, you can yeah. hear all of it, but some of it is a little bit more obscure. Um, he cites Ennio Morricone um, specifically yes. the Ecstasy of Gold, which is like you know the song. He also did the Thing soundtrack. Yeah. Which is sick. big deal. Yeah, for sure. I mean, he's done so much and he's the man, but like, uh, yeah, Ecstasy of Gold is like the song. So, hell yeah. Uh, he also, interesting to me, he cites heavier stuff um, like Nitzer Ebb, who are like kind of industrial punk, electronic music, and Discharge, mm-hmm. who are just hardcore. Mm-hmm. Um, he also played in a punk band in high school. So that's kind of fun. Hell yeah. Um, what if he ever like hangs out with Sweary and talks punk rock? Uh, well, he does work at Grasshopper now, I think. So maybe they're kind of they, those guys have to all go get like a fucking beer at the same place, right? The uh, video game auteur Illuminati. <laughs> yeah, dude. Fuck. I want to go drink a giant Japanese beer with those guys. Hell yeah! You ever had one of those those giant Japanese beers? <laughs> No, no, I didn't have any beer in Japan. Oh, really? maybe next time. I really like Japanese beer. It's like the good, like shitty light beer in America. It's like that. Mm. It's good. Yeah. Um, I don't have the palate for it. Oh, I love beer. I wouldn't know. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> I, I apologize for being a stereotype <laughs> and loving beer. Um, anyway, so there's also uh, a little handful of in-game uh, shout outs that Yamaoka gives that I think are impossible to ignore because they loom large. Mm-hmm. They're also the ones that he seems mostly in part one. Yeah. And they're also the stuff that he seems to talk about less in interviews, which I think is because they're just like so fucking obvious um, yeah. that he's like any musician who just wants to shout out stuff that he thinks people haven't heard. Um, so mm-hmm. he's got these interviews telling people to listen to these like pages and pages of like obscure eighties music instead of like the things that his music actually <laughs> sounds like. Um, but the biggest one of those is obviously Portishead. Like, yeah, of course. Portishead nineties trip hop group. God level transcends all genres and times. Uh, easily one of my favorite bands ever. Um, mm-hmm. The first Portishead record dummy is incredible and is incredibly silent Hill. So yeah, they, they, they did a lot of stuff that was groundbreaking uh, for good or bad. Because a lot of bands after that had DJs that were scratching. Yeah. Cough, comp, rap metal, cough, <laughs> cough. But uh, they they did a lot of groundbreaking shit. One thing I thought was cool is that they had their own vinyl cut. So they would have like the drum tracks on a record and like the bass line on a record. And the DJ would actually use those. Yeah. Well, they would do that in the studio too. That they would like... Yeah cut loops to vinyl which i mean they must have just had a lathe cutter in in town and they would just get shit cut and then they would make loops out of like samples pressed to vinyl which is crazy so dope yeah Yeah, which uh side note that technology is coming in the next few years to have an at-home like lathe cutter for about a grand you can get your own and then cut your which i think that 
would be very exciting for those type of purposes for sampling and shit. Totally. Um, yeah, let's see if they're any good. I know. I So I, I did a session yesterday in a studio and the owner was like talking my ear off about it. And I was agreeing with him. I was like, this all sounds really cool, but I want to see if they're good. I want to see how expensive the supplies are. And if you can get the supplies from a third party, because otherwise you're fucked, you know. True. When a Kickstarter goes yeah. belly up and you can't buy more blank wax, you know, it's like, yeah, nah, some proprietary blend or some yeah, shit. That's, yeah. that's enough for me. But it's a cool, it's yeah. exciting concept for sure. Um, so, okay, Portis Head. Portis Head. Another one, yeah. um, Psychic TV. Uh, totally. Which we talked a bunch about and we're going to talk more about in a minute. So buckle up. It's scary. Yeah. I accidentally put in our notes that they get the only music ref, one of the only music refs in Sound Hill One, but I meant that they get the only big like story reference. Like mm. there's a plot point where there's a drug that's called Psychic TV. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> but there are a couple of other music references in the original Sound Hill, most notably multiple references to Sonic Youth. Um that are, yeah, are kind, totally. kind of bizarrely inserted and maybe missable. But I don't know. Uh, shout out Lee Ronaldo. <laughs> shout out Lee. He loves the Grateful Dead. He's my favorite. You know how like girls in the '60s would pick out like their favorite member of the Monkees. Lee Ronaldo is my favorite member of Sonic Youth. See, it's funny you mentioned that because I was going to say that saying Lee Ronaldo is your favorite member of Sonic Youth is kind of like saying Ringo is your favorite Beatle. <laughs> And also, I fuck with it because Ringo is absolutely my favorite Beatle and always has been. Like, of all the people in Sonic Youth, like, who would you want to hang out with? Lee Ronaldo. Steve Shelley. Easy. Yeah? Yeah. He seems like such a fucking chill-ass dude, and he's uh, not going to make me play (laughs) guitar. Oh, okay. (laughs) When the hang is deep, I don't want anyone giving me their their dirty, dusty jazz master. (laughs) I just want to chill, dude. (laughs) <laughs> I just want to fucking fucking vape some CBD and chill. <laughs> I couldn't even get that out. <laughs> I do want to vape CBD with Steve Shelley. That I will go on record with. Totally. Yeah. Uh, Talk shop. Yeah. Now, okay. So here's another one, though. Another uh, music reference in the original Silent Hill. So you think is that actually a reference to the band Red Rum? I mean. So, okay, in Silent Hill 1, there's, like, a big graffiti on the street that says Red Rum. And, like, okay, duh, it's a Shining reference, right? Uh-huh. But then there's this band from the late 90s in Japan called Red Rum, and they sound exactly like fucking Silent Hill. Yeah. It can't be a coincidence. Dude had to have gone to, like, a Red Rum show and loved it. Right. Well, and they came out in 96, and... I feel like it's not far-fetched to think that he may have actually known who they were and all that. Yeah. We'll get to Shout it. Shout out Whitney Chavis yeah. and her Let's Plays for letting me know that that band exists because uh, that shit was great. Yeah. Huge shout out. Um, thank you, Whitney, because they're like my fucking new favorite band. And we'll get to it in a minute. But I think if there's one message I want people to take away from this episode, for me personally, it's listen to Red Rum. Holy shit. Yeah. That- it's hard to find, too. I mean. Oh, yeah outside of soul seek yeah i was definitely relying on you to get me files i found one album on my own <laughs> i found the first ep yeah. on my own because that ep is a banger but yeah it's on youtube the first ep oh yeah there's some blog remember when yeah. blogs used to do that thing where it's like here's a whole band's discography links and they all yeah, look I would like, love those yeah i found one where the links were still active for red rum 
sick. Maybe we'll post that on Facebook and get that website torched or something. <laughs> Just kidding. Um, I don't want to do that. So, okay, um, to kind of round out my little Yamoka worship section, uh, I did want to point out that um, in an interview I read uh, a quote from him that amounted to him saying something like, I'm paraphrasing here obviously, that he's always viewed the music of Silent Hill as his own personal expression. And Mm. I think that's another thing that's really awesome and that makes these uh, soundtracks stand out is that they feel like albums by a musical artist rather than just a series of soundtracks. And it was gratifying for me to read that quote and see like, oh, he actually views us as like, these are my albums, you know? So it's not like, oh, I'm just doing soundtrack work and then I'll release my solo album or whatever. It feels like he put his heart and soul into it. I mean, it sounds like it. Yeah. You know, besides the weird pacing of the first soundtrack, uh, I would totally just say these are records, you know? Yeah, I I really appreciate that aspect of it. Because it is easy to hear other soundtracks and just feel like, oh, this feels like just something, you know, that they did as like a job or something like that. But yeah, these are great albums. I also think it's, it's probably worth saying that people younger than us may have never actually like sat down and listened to an album like as an album listening experience and that's like super sad to me sure so like people should try that like (laughs) go out buy the thing and put it in your stereo see this is another big problem as like being a music listener is difficult nowadays yeah no one has a stereo When, when i was growing up like we had a stereo around all the time right like we had the big tower in the corner with the big speakers and we would listen to music on that. So, like, I kind of grew up as, like, an active music listener. But I feel like the iPhone generation, like, tore that away from everyone and made it kind of, like, not a part of everyday life. Like, the stereo is not the appliance in the living room anymore, you know? Yeah, totally. I don't know. That's, I think that's a big problem with music now. It's hard to be an active listener. So like listening to listening to these records actively as like an active listener and just like soaking in the experience, I think is uh, a cool way to listen to these and you should try it, especially if you've never really done that before. Yeah, I agree. And I also think that it, it is, I agree that it's become harder now to listen to full albums because you're just not in- incentivized to and these platforms are trying to push you away from it. But mm-hmm. Yeah, this stuff is all out there as full albums. It's just you have to commit to it. And and yeah, I mean, when I was writing these recommendations, all the recommendations I wrote are as albums. Like I picked albums for people to go and listen to. Because like, I think it's kind of right. sad and twisted that that's become the case because we also now have more access to music. Like you can just listen to music straight all day. So people want more content, but then they're not listening to albums. It's... Yeah, it's stupid. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. not how the artist intended for you to listen to their shit. Yeah. Like, you know, when we put a record out, like like you said, all the songs go in a specific order and they all link to each other in a specific way. Mm. You're trying to make an experience for the listener. And when you just listen to Spotify on random or whatever, it just like fucks all that up. Yeah, totally. I don't know. I've always been an album guy. That's just me, you know? Yeah, same. And, like, I grew up the same way that you did, and I still have a giant speaker tower with all the various things. I'm staring at it right now because it's across from where I'm recording this. I have several tape decks because I'm a dumbass musician. (laughs) Yeah. So I've got, like, a stack of tape decks. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 
Oh, you know I do. <laughs> yeah, so I, yeah, I'm definitely, this is an album-oriented set of recommendations. And yeah, when we're talking about yeah. these soundtracks, we're definitely talking about them as albums, like sitting down and listening to them. So mm-hmm. yeah, that's a good disclaimer. Thanks, James. Yeah. So Silent Hill 1, O-N-E, the original mm. Silent Hill. <laughs> Uh, yeah. So with all that preamble out of the way, this is basically the one that doesn't really work as an album. <laughs> well, I wouldn't go that far. It's just not. It's just so rough around the edges. Yeah. Um. We'll get into a lot of the problems, but yeah, it's uh, it's definitely like the the prototype baby first record. Yeah, absolutely, and it's the weirdest of the soundtracks, which is oh, totally. It's it hurts it in some ways but i also f- well it's definitely the least palatable yeah but it's actually kind of what's amazing about it also yeah totally it has like a very distinctly industrial sound to it and yamaoka has said uh that he chose it to differentiate it from other games which it totally does <laughs> i mean you weren't getting any of that shit in resident evil so mm-hmm and, you know, we mentioned this story in the Silent Hill 1 episode, but uh, the team, everyone else on the team originally thought it was a bug and there was something wrong with the music. <laughs> and he had to basically present the idea for the soundtrack after he had made some of it, which is both scary and hilarious. Yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, I wonder, I wonder if he was like, this is industrial music. Check this out. And he, like, showed them, like, some real scary music out of his record collection (laughs) yeah i hope so (laughs) like in a board meeting yeah exactly that's where i'm imagining this all happening is in a board (laughs) meeting um yeah and this whole soundtrack is more on the not only industrial side of things but also way more on the soundscape side of things like we talked about earlier Mm -hmm. um this one he was clearly choosing to make soundscapes to complement the game and then kind of throwing in a few more traditional songs, more full band arrangements um, mm-hmm. to complement those other pieces or kind of round out the soundtrack. It's real gritty. Yeah. It's real dirty. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you can definitely tell either as a result of like compression from, you know, the PS one era hardware or the hardware that he was using to make this music that there's a lot of Mm -hmm. like downscaling so we talked about this a little bit in the episode um but basically at this time uh samplers that they would have been using which would have been the hardware that they used to capture you know a snippet of a sound and then play it back either in a computer program or with an arranger or whatever uh they were really low-fi still Especially if he was just using hardware that's a couple of years old. Yeah. Because that stuff was super expensive back then. Yeah, for sure. And even the stuff that was really readily available and not super expensive at the time, like, um, you know, something from Akai or something from Roland. The thing is that at this yeah. time, these machines were considered groundbreaking just because they could cleanly snip samples. Because the previous generation would have added like a kind of sound to yeah. it. Like we're talking about shit that was just very primitive. So the actual quality of like the samples was pretty low. Um, you know, yeah. like 16 yeah. bit or lower. Well, and you had to worry about the amount of RAM that the machine had too. Yeah. 
So a lot of times you would purposefully downsample things just to make more samples fit on the RAM so you can play them simultaneously. Right. So it, it's cool that you can hear some of those limitations in the soundtrack. Like the industrial sounds sound really, really industrial because they're like downscaled. They're at a low bit rate. They're kind of fucked up sounding, you know? And that kind of like makes the aesthetic of old industrial bands like Ministry and Pig Face and Nine Inch Nails, you know, they would use like floppy disk samplers and shit, you know? Yeah. And that's just part of the whole like industrial electronic aesthetic. Well, totally. And, you know, like one of the influences we've cited earlier, Art of Noise. I mean, that was their whole thing. They basically formed like a weird novelty noise composition band the minute they could get like a sampler in their studio. And that thing was probably just like a big fucking microwave with a bunch of floppy disks in it. Like it was not, (laughs) it was not like advanced tech. So yeah. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I, I think it's just like the graphics in this game where it helps to create its own aesthetic. Like that dithered to hell kind of crusty look is yeah. part of the game. I mean, oh, this this soundtrack sounds crusty as fuck. Oh yeah, but that's another thing. Like I mentioned <laughs> earlier, I think each game the soundtrack really complements the visuals, and in this game it totally does because it's harsh as hell. Mm-hmm. It sounds like dithering. Yeah. Sometimes the rhythm loops uh, just really sound like thrown together noises and like looped and the loop sounds cool, like a drum rhythm or something. Yeah. Even though it's probably like a trash can falling downstairs or something. <laughs> like real Einstein's a new button type shit. Yeah. Like, and in the con- oh, today I'm going to play the shopping cart. Yeah. And in the context of the game, it works really well because it's just like a heavy aesthetic. It creates a vibe. It's creepy and weird. Um, yeah. I love it. The problem with this as an album, however, is that unfortunately the actual OST release basically falls prey to a weird trend in like movie soundtracks at the time, which is that instead of making an album of songs, they would make like an album of music cues. And so a lot of it would be these like 15 to 30 second bangers that just fly past you. And it's a huge bummer because a lot of the best tracks, you're like, why was that 15 seconds long? Yeah. What a shame. Yeah. But it's not unique to this album. I remember having some film soundtracks like from around that time when I was a kid, like on CD. And it was always like, this sucks. Like, yeah. Why is this like this, you know? <laughs> yeah, my, my favorite song on the soundtrack, uh, Fear of the Dark, is susceptible to this problem. Yeah. I mean, like the soundtrack doesn't even let it loop once before the previous and next songs are crossfaded into it. So even if you wanted to make a longer version, you couldn't because of the crossfades. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and once again, I mean, this is... This was how a lot of studios were putting out like movie soundtracks at the time. I think my mm-hmm. guess would be because at this time it was a lot more popular to do like a inspired by the movie type soundtrack and just have a bunch of artists record songs for it. And then when you'd put out mm-hmm. the f- score, it would be more like these weird snippets, like a reel more than an actual yeah. thing. You would like look. that shitty Blade Runner soundtrack. Oh yeah, totally. They re-recorded it. Fuck them for doing that. Yeah, absolutely. 
So I don't know, listening to this album, there are some longer tracks that are really awesome, but as a listening experience, it almost feels like it would work better in like a really abstract haunted house than something you'd actually like <laughs> sit down and listen to. And it's not because of the compositions, it's because of like the way that it's presented. I don't know. Some of these songs are like certified bangers. I mean, I feel like you're being a little harsh. No, and I, I'm just saying like I... There's that song Clawfinger. Oh my god, dude. Shit is tight. No, I agree. I just like wish that they'd do a remix that just had longer extended versions of all these songs that were relegated to like 15 seconds. Because we'll talk about it. The other albums yeah. don't do this and they're way better about it. You're right because I'm looking at it and Clawfinger's only a minute and a half. Yeah. So It's just, it's yeah. weird. And like I said, I, I wasn't surprised by it when I went back to listen to it. But I was like, oh, fuck, I remember this. This sucked. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. it was just a yeah. thing. And I remember like as a kid getting a couple soundtracks I was really excited about and then just being like, oh, fuck. Like yeah. it wasn't like the old days where you'd buy it on vinyl. And so they wanted to make it like worth your time, you know. It's no The Crow soundtrack. <laughs> no, I think The Crow is actually the start of the like inspired by the movie soundtrack. Like, why did everybody have The Crow soundtrack? It seems like everybody had that. Well, it's because okay, so if you're if you're too young to remember this, basically <laughs> in the mid '90s, The Crow and Batman Forever started this trend where they would do like inspired by the movie soundtracks, where they would get really popular artists to record exclusive That's songs. Right. Yeah. And then they'd put an album of them out. This went away for a while and then came back with Twilight, weirdly enough. Um, <laughs> Twilight got a bunch of like pretty big name artists, like heavy hitters, to record exclusive songs. But anyway, this started in the mid-90s with The Crow and Batman Forever. Mm. And everyone had those two because The Crow yeah. had like a Nine Inch Nails song that was only on there. And... Something like that. That yeah. was the big one. It had um, a, a Nine Inch Nails song. Uh, that was... It's, it's kind of an overrated song. There's a better remix of it. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It's no the perfect drug e- exclusive to the Lost Highway soundtrack. Yeah, exactly. Uh, <laughs> but the Batman Forever one had like a U2 song that was really popular. Uh, oh, really? Yeah. I, I, it has a really... That's not the one with the Seal song? Yep. It had Kiss from a Rose. <laughs> <laughs> so like that one had multiple certified like pop hits on it uh, mm. and yeah so that that was like a trend that started and because of that like the actual score original soundtrack score albums that started coming around this time became like really garbage because they would just be like no one cares about these and they basically just do, do you remember the mashup soundtracks it was um god uh spawn it was like rock bands with electronic acts. Oh, yeah, like Judgment Night and then, started that. And then Judgment Night, which was rock, rock bands with rappers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, more people... That was a weird... Yeah, more people know that Judgment Night soundtrack than the movie Judgment Night. <laughs> <laughs> Who, whose idea was that to do that with movie soundtracks? It's so weird. So weird. Yeah, it, I, it just feels like in the 90s in general, there was like a loss of faith in soundtracks and they felt like they had to do weird gimmicky shit. And I'm really glad that that ended because that was a shitty time. Yeah, weird. Thank you for listening to Zero Brightness. If you'd like to support us directly, you can go to patreon.com slash zero brightness. You can also find and interact with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Discord. All the relevant links are at zerobrightness.com. 
We'll see you out there. Anyway. Anyway, so diversion complete. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh so when talking about these soundtracks, I decided to kind of break them down into a few different categories uh of like types of songs that appear on these soundtracks. So um the first category that I wanted to present was the the full band jammers. Because even though my characterization <laughs> of the Sound Hill One soundtrack is a lot of harsh industrial music and a lot of like 15 second sound snippets, there are a few full band jammers that like mm. are full length songs with a full arrangement and are really rad. So obviously there's the famous theme with its iconic mandolin riff that's also very yes. similar to the iconic mandolin riff in uh, uh, fucking Sour Times by Portishead. <laughs> uh, but still... Copy-paste. Yeah, still a great tune. Love that Silent Hill theme. Yeah. Um, it's also cool, too. Like I think a lot of people who haven't listened to the full song, it goes into this kind of more like chilled-out, like kind of, I don't know, post-punk indie rock thing after that. That's really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so def- I like it. definitely listen to that. Um, there's another song called "She" uh, that's kind of in the same vein. Um, there's a song called "Other Side" that's that sort of dusty. Sounds like it's an old vinyl record thing that plays over like Tarantino sounding. Yeah, spaghetti western and Neo Morricone guitar type song. Um, yeah, that's a cool ass song. Uh, and there's another one called "Killing Time" that's just another really good full band instrumental. Yeah, uh, there's two songs, Tears Of and Killing Time, seem like the long-lost Portishead jams. Yeah, totally. And I like all of these songs because they sort of uh, presage where the soundtracks are going to go with like mm-hmm. more melodic content, more intense arrangement. Um, and they're, they're really cool on this album because they just break up um, the more like industrial stuff. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I, I like these a lot. They also have that weird sort of lo-fi sound to them, like which may have been a mm-hmm. production thing or it may have been just a limitation thing. Uh, so even like the theme kind of has like weird sounding drums and like the bass keeps dropping out. I don't know. It's cool. I like it. It, it has like vinyl crackle too. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, they're doing it on purpose. Oh yeah. They did. They like Portis. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so another category on here uh there's some really good proto sh2 type melodic keyboard stuff and it, th- this is a uh, my wheelhouse yeah this is the kind of shit i like and i think that this stuff is cool because it it has a specific sound that keeps recurring throughout the the series and it reminds me of a few different things like number one is boards of canada right like oh totally yeah you can't not think of boards of canada although they were coming out around the same time so it's not really like he was yeah probably was not inspired i think that's a bit more of a far-fetched influence but i think i mean if you like this sort of music that sounds like found footage kind of thing you've got to check out boards of canada right so it's got that kind of lo-fi jazzy keyboard sample heavy sample heavy but another thing with this stuff is that it also kind of has this weird techno sound because a lot of it has those like really stacked up synth patches. It's a it's it's a mid nineties kind of like house 
sound. Yeah. But it's like real deconstructed here because right. it's just like slathered in reverb and it's all scary. Yeah, and it'll just it'll just be the keyboard. So whereas in house music there'd be bass and drums and all this kind of stuff and it'd be energetic. Here it's just the keyboard and it's just slow and sad yeah. and creepy. Super cool. Yeah. That's Korg AF. Yeah. <laughs> and the <laughs> other big influence for this type of music that you can't ignore is John Carpenter. Like Yes, uh, my senpai. Yeah, exactly. He's like the master <laughs> of the creepy synth arpeggio. And he's very similar to Yamaoka to where he's a filmmaker, but he's also the composer of his own thing. Right. So, like, this is, like, sort of his job, too. But he makes, like, the sickest soundtracks. No, he, he makes great stuff. He's actually done, more recently, a couple albums, uh, Lost Themes and Lost Themes 2, that are both super good albums. Um but anyway, so I picked a few selections here. The first one was Clawfinger, which I think is the most like yes. carpenter ripping on the whole soundtrack. Gangster's folk. Yeah. It's super, super good. Um, minute and a half of pure bliss. And then, of course, we've got Fear of the Dark, which we really need to just stream off of a PS2 and record to make a longer loop of. Like, Yeah, for sure. It's so good. Yeah, that's, that's the most John Carpenter sounding track just because of the... And repeated arpeggiation or whatever. Yeah, totally. Uh, banger. Yeah. Certified banger. Certified banger. And then there's another one called Nothing Else that kind of has that techno sound, that mm-hmm. house music sound we were talking about earlier that I really like. It's very cool. Um, yeah. And then, of course, there's some great industrial noise tracks. Uh, yeah. There's a Killed by Death, which is a great, like, come on. It's also a Motorhead song. Oh, yeah. It's a, a bunch of people have called songs that, but you gotta love like uh, Silent Hill using "Killed by Death." Um, there's also <laughs> "Don't Cry" and "Moonchild," which are sort of a twofer on the soundtrack that feel like one long song. Yeah, that are super cool. Um, I really liked. So you know, something that they start doing more in other soundtracks is like blending songs together in a meaningful way. So it's like a couple songs will be paired because they sound similar exactly there's a little bit of that on this soundtrack and the the don't cry moon child segue is very cool there's a song called die and it sounds like like the most evil einschertzen newbotten song ever yeah and then there's a song called i'll kill you which is also just like utterly scary yeah (laughs) so shout out die and i'll kill you yeah i really like there's one called half day that's like the most chaotic and noisy song on the whole record to me and like mm. it's called half day which is really funny because it makes me think of like taking off work early but it's just like ah yeah he's probably having a bad day and <laughs> took off at home at lunchtime yeah it's so great um yeah but and i also put most of the rest of it because most of the soundtrack is like harsh industrial noise and that's great so su- some suggested listening for people that like this soundtrack uh-huh <laughs> you know we've already talked about like psychic tv yep and throbbing gristle a little bit uh, I would go farther and say, you know, of course, we've mentioned it a couple times, Einstürz and Neubotten. Uh especially the earlier stuff where they were like literally like using like grinders on stage and shit. Yeah. Uh, there's a record called Halbermensha or Halbermensch. Yeah. That's one to check out if you like the dirty shit. But I don't know. Modern Einstürz and Neubotten sounds really cool, like really classy. Yeah. Um, they changed a lot. Also Lustmord. Yeah, they did change a lot. Dude starts singing all nice. Yeah. And uh, I don't know. They actually, like, use notes and tones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, also uh, Lust Mord. Um, it's just, like, super scary. Like, 
It's like music for pessimists. <laughs> Just like background noise for pessimists. Yeah. And on that note, another recommendation you've written here is Murray's Bow, which I second. Um, Murray's Bow is a famous yeah. Japanese noise producer. Uh, Masami Akita. Yeah. And he he has a million records and a million collab records. Literally a million. Yeah. But his most famous record is called Pulse Demon. It's just pure noise. Um, yeah. And it's been memed to death also, and I love it. Yeah. But he has a bunch of collaborations with the band Boris that I really, really love. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah. I would recommend any of those. Um, but yeah Mersbow is definitely one to check out on the note of throbbing gristle and psychic tv i did want to throw album recommendations for those so for throbbing gristle Mm. um third and final report is the one that has the songs that we talked about in the silent hill one episode um yeah uh, like discipline and hamburger lady Uh, yeah another cool one i liked is a jazz funk greats yeah it's just so weird It, it doesn't really sound very silent hilly but yeah and also the the front and back cover just like chilling yeah the front cover makes it look like the monkeys or some shit and then you turn the record over and they're all like standing over a rotting corpse in the grass yeah <laughs> like what the fuck yeah it's so good yeah uh, but yeah throbbing gristle third and final report is the one that we talked about uh yeah psychic tv i really like this album called dreams less sweet it's their second album mm. it has a really nice mix of like sweet pop songs and horrible noise um yeah and i think that's kind of like the most silent hill shit ever just that contrast (laughs) (laughs) yeah Uh, another one that we talked about earlier but the first portis head record dummy is like you have to listen to that record if you like silent hill music like yeah i would say the first couple portis head records are like boom yeah the second portis head record is like a little less accessible but in a way sounds even more like silent hill because it's like harsher you know it's got a really uh, similar production to like the first Silent Hill record in a weird way. Um, yeah, I don't know. It's great. Portishead's the best. Um, so another one that like wouldn't have really inspired the soundtrack, but that I think sounds like it. And we mentioned it earlier also was Boards of Canada. Um, their record Geo Gotti. Uh, that's like mm-hmm. absolutely yeah. recommended listening. It sounds a lot like that shorter keyboard stuff, like Fear of the Dark, for example. Um, yeah. There's a song on that record, Geo Gotti, that uh, is called uh, Beware the Friendly Stranger that is just, I think it's just that song. <laughs> yeah, I mean, like, you can't go wrong with any of the mid-2000s Boards of Canada records. Yeah. Like, they're all good. Totally. But Geo Gotti's the creepiest, so. Yeah. Obviously, it's my favorite. Um, you know, also on here, John Carpenter... Like we mentioned earlier, I mean, I don't know anything like all his sound. I, I would go analog era. There's definitely like two eras of John Carpenter's classics and there's the analog era and then the digital era. Sure. Analog stuff like assault from precinct 13, all that early shit, Halloween, Halloween two, three, yeah. all that stuff. Yeah. And then later, like the digital stuff would be more like they live. Yeah. I would definitely recommend the analog stuff maybe christine yeah there's a banger totally anyways yeah for sure um yeah john carpenter you gotta listen to it um so a couple more recent recommendations uh from me uh one is this band (laughs) my disco they have an album called left field yeah very left field (laughs) is that their ambient record they recently put out and everybody was like what yeah it's so good it's their best (laughs) record tool man taylor yeah 
So they have this record. Pitchfork gave it a 6.3 or one. <laughs> I don't think they reviewed it, dude. <laughs> <laughs> so this band, My Disco, they used to be more of like a noise rock band. And then yeah. they like totally turned into just like creepy horror soundtrack music. And like yeah. this new record of theirs called Environment is like so creepy and spacious and atmospheric and just it's like industrial but with like no context and like everything sucked out of it and just replaced with empty space they're so 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 fucking good uh and yeah that environment record definitely i've been listening to a lot lately gives me a lot of silent hill vibes i love it one more record that's not on there that i'm gonna throw in is a band called belong okay they did a record called october language and it's it sounds like your CD is melting. <laughs> it's really good stuff. Really good ambient e, emotive ambient e stuff. Nice. Um, yeah, and then another more recent, definitely like left field recommendation that I don't know people might not even feel like fits, but I do is uh, this band Toe. They're a Japanese math rock band, mm-hmm. and yeah. their first album it's called it has a really long title, but the first few words of it are the book about my idol plot. Uh, that record is really awesome and I was trying to think of a band that kind of reminded me of the more like chill full band cuts on this uh, soundtrack and Mm. Toe was kind of the only one and the reason they reminded me of it is that it's basically like clean chilled out pretty sad guitar music but then with like a crazy fucking drummer who's like going nuts and doing like weird like trip hop and like breakbeat shit under it but He's also pretty. I hate to make stereotypes, but like every drummer we played with in Japan was amazing. Yeah, no, totally. I don't know. I don't know <laughs> what it is, but it's awesome. But yeah, like the production on that record is really weird because like the guitars are like really stark and clean, and then the drums are super roomy and dirty, and like that contrast mm-hmm. and just like the the melancholy feel of the record and everything really reminds me of like the full band non-industrial like cuts on this record. Um, nice. So check that out. Uh, yeah. And then a couple more. Almost done here. This is probably the longest one because it's like the first <laughs> game and it's just stuff that I thought yeah. applies to the whole series kind of. But uh yeah, yeah. So obviously Red Rum, who we talked about earlier, late nineties, early two thousands Japanese band started out just wanting to be the Japanese Portishead and eventually just made a really cool discography of stuff that was like, you know, Portishead inspired and David Lynch inspired, mixed with just like rock and kind of like emo guitar shit. It's super, super definitely good. under the radar in the West. I don't know how popular they are in Japan, right? Um, but that was like the big find for me of like recently stuff that reminds me of Silent Hill. Uh, was that band totally? Holy shit, so good. Um, and then I just threw in my favorite like noise record ever, which is uh, Ground Zero, which is the like ensemble artist name of the stuff composed by this uh, Japanese noise guy named Otomo Yoshihide. Uh, mm. he made an album as Ground Zero that's called Revolutionary Pekingese Opera Version 1.28 that is just fucking awesome and it's a mix of crazy harsh noise and like really pretty ambient stuff and then this really bizarre like full band jazz like screaming and uh, <laughs> it fucking rules and for some reason it just really reminds me of this like harsh silent hill shit and i love it so yeah that was a lot of stuff 
Uh, like I yeah, said, we can keep wrecking stuff, but we'll never get through. <laughs> yeah. And like I said, I'm going to definitely write this up and try find a way to make playlists to give to people, whatever the most expedient way to do that. Mm-hmm. But definitely want to share this music with you guys. But, um, yeah. So Silent Hill 2. <laughs> I feel like a lot of the previous recommendations are... Uh, they're kind of like blanketed towards the entire series you know besides the noise stuff uh-huh you know it's it's it really like yeah the whole the aesthetic's already there right but there is there is quite the departure in like approach on this one yeah so like i mentioned earlier i think that every soundtrack changes in a meaningful way to match like the changes in the game the changes in story and approach and design and it's probably most noticeable i feel in silent hill 2 um because obviously you know we talked about this in our silent hill 2 episode just go listen to it um silent hill 2 is more of like a capsule story it's very emotional Mm -hmm. it's geared toward exploring the experience of this one person and their experience in silent hill and So the soundtrack matches that by being more lush and melodic and emotional. And yeah, I think it's cool because uh, those changes end up being really meaningful and sticking around for the entire rest of the series. So even though Silent Hill 2 doesn't really ever get replicated in terms of the games, like this big shift in music continues on with the rest of the games and he just keeps developing that side of it Mm -hmm. and I think he probably got some recognition and how cool the soundtrack was so like you know it it goaded him towards just keep pushing this idea you know yeah totally Um, and I think another thing that's really really cool is that the style of this album overall was way more about blending in a couple different ways so in the first soundtrack it was like kind of like i listed it where it's like okay here's your harsh industrial tracks here's your full band tracks here's your keyboard tracks you know on this album it was way more of a mature or like matured approach that he would continue on with the rest of the series where every track tries to combine at least a couple of these different elements to make something that like feels more whole and complete. Mm -hmm. And it's actually reflected in the track list too. Like this album was the hardest one to pull individual tracks from because the flow of this soundtrack is incredible. Like the snippets are longer, so it's an improvement over the first one, but just the way that these tracks flow together is insane. Like, you can just keep listening to the whole thing and then suddenly it's like, what the fuck? Like that was like 80 minutes of music and it's over. Like how did that I'd happen? argue that this is the most listenable and probably my favorite one. It's not my favorite personally. I think it's really amazing, but I would probably agree that it's the most listenable. Like mm. you just put it on and it's over. And like I said, it's fucking 80 minutes long. So that's an achievement. You're just like, whoa. Yeah. Like what happened? I guess what I'm trying to say is that I have less like individual track recommendations here because the whole album flows so well and it's so geared towards just being a whole album listening. So I think we were talking about this earlier, but this one especially I would say is the one where 
you gotta sit down and listen to it as an album or if you want my personalized recommendation um for myself um it's that you should drive around and listen to it in your pt cruiser um it's basically (laughs) the official music of being in your early 30s and being depressed and owning a pt cruiser so i actually i drove around listening to it but not in a pt cruiser so I got like 80% of that experience. Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to take away from your experience, but yeah, there's at least 20% missing there. Yeah. The cruise. I get it. Yeah. Um, but there are a few notable tracks. Um, the theme of Laura, which is the first track on the album and sort of the mm. game's theme is notable. It gets, you know, brought up and reprised a couple other times and it's like a really cool full band track that just feels like it has a little bit more weight to it like emotional weight and compositional weight than the theme from the original silent hill it's a really cool song um yeah my only knock on it is the really really fake violin like you didn't know anybody who could pick up a violin <laughs> dude come on uh it's super poppy i mean yeah it's getting you into it i love that song yeah. though it's got really cool guitar um it's kind of establishes what i think of as like yamaoka's guitar sound where it's it's clean and kind of watery with a chorus effect on it um yeah he does these great arpeggios and big ringing chords um it's kind of like taking all those influences and making like a anime opening out of it <laughs> know what you mean i do know what you mean and i agree but i also think it's impressive how he still manages to keep it dark and creepy like there you can hear the gray fog oh yeah settling yeah. over this song but i totally agree with you it's like he knows how to make pop tracks but he also knows how to keep that creepy aspect it's such a great mm-hmm. opening theme fuck you know yeah um another great segue that i like there's the forest into world of madness um oh yeah yeah real pretty yeah and i like these tracks because they're what i think of as being typical of the silent hill 2 soundtrack or what is most typical to me which is that they're almost just like solo kind of roads keyboards or piano songs but there's so much ambience and cool production around them that they feel really full and engaging i was gonna say um i got pretty heavy like blade runner blues vibes yeah from forest which blade runner blues was like a great like long track from the blade runner soundtrack yeah where it's just kind of like vangelis being twinkly on his piano making it all pretty and minimalist yeah totally and i think just like that soundtrack it's great because it has the feel of being just like a solo keyboard track but then when you actually listen you realize that there's so much cool ambience and production around it that it feels a lot more full and engaging like that's why i think sometimes like a solo piano thing as a soundtrack choice can be kind of like trite because it's just such an easy image to reach for you know Mm, but yeah. with the extra stuff around it, it actually kind of heightens it and makes something that's really cool and interesting. And yeah, there's a lot of that on this record, but the sequencing of it and the production around it makes it all really, really cool to listen to. Great chilled out like record to listen to. One that you don't have noted here is uh, White Noise, which I have deemed a certified banger. Oh yeah, absolute banger. Really good track. Oh yeah, yeah. totally. Yeah, there's some bangers. There's some really like... 
This soundtrack establishes a lot of what I sort of think of as like the Silent Hill sound in terms of like having way more uh, trip hop bangers mm, and yeah. stuff like that. Stuff that has like heavy beats. There's like some real like hip hop shit on here. <laughs> yeah. Um, like I think that's the song True I have noted in here, but I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. I also have that one noted down as a certified banger. Yeah. The Heaven's Night, I believe, is another one like that. Um, yeah, it's chill as fuck. Yeah, it's like the most chill. Yeah. yeah, and we'll get to it in the suggestions. But like, I got a big like hip hop vibe from mm. this album, and like it, it it continues on with with Silent Hill three heavy. But it was cool to see yeah. that in here because once again, I think in Silent Hill one, there's this big trip hop influence, but a lot of that stuff is not in the like moment to moment gameplay music. Right. It's more right. in these sort of like cutscenes or special like themes and themes. In this game, there's way more of the trip hop stuff, and it actually appears in the game. This is another one I liked called uh, "Overdose Delusion," which is my final certified banger for this soundtrack. <laughs> yeah, totally. Uh, there's a lot of bangers on this one. There's a lot of bangers, and it's a long soundtrack too. Like even when you're listening to it, there's a moment where it feels like it's over, and then there's like eight tracks after that. Like, and I'm, that's not a criticism. It fucking just keeps rolling. You're like, oh my God. I love it. I had one, one more banger on here, which is called Terror. And uh, that's like the Nine Inch Nails track. It just sounds straight up. Yeah. We had the same thought on that one. In my notes, I had uh, Nine Inch Nails wants its groove back. (laughs) Well, I agree, but I also love not only did he take like the groove and the bass sound from nine inch nails he also took the idea of it being like this sprawling track that changes halfway through which is like mm-hmm. a big nine inch nails thing that I, I love in this song like halfway through it the the groove just goes deeper yeah yeah i mean yeah i think i think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you're talking about how this one mixes the pretty sounds with the scary sounds and uh, there's one song on here called Fermata in Mystic Air, mm-hmm. which like really like mashes up like the really nasty industrial gritty sound with prettiness. Right. And once again, that's another thing that gets pushed to its logical conclusion with the Silent Hill 3 soundtrack. Uh, but it's cool to see it here because it's a, it's a little more embryonic, but it's still very effective. Totally. So, suggested listening for this mm. album. Um, and once again, my first suggestion, listen to this whole album. Just listen to it on a fucking loop. It rips. And <laughs> I, I think the sequencing and the blending of tracks is so masterful that you need to listen to the whole thing. And if it sounds like I'm really harping on that, I am. Because I have sequenced hundreds of albums for people and for myself. And it's really (laughs) hard to do. Um, It is not easy, especially when someone wants all the tracks to run together. Like when you do a record like that, you can spend hours trying to nail that. So when you hear a record like this or a record like um, Since I Left You by the Avalanches or something like that, like Mm. it's just for for me, it's like mind blowing. It's like, wow, I know how hard that is. And I know that they fucking nailed it. So, you know. Yeah, that was like sort of my thing for a couple albums, like making all of them go together in one long thing. Yeah, totally. And just because like I grew up listening to like 
Pink Floyd metal and Dark Side. Yeah, you know? totally. Well, and you and I have both put out albums like that. Like, uh, yeah, exactly. All Sadness by The Grasshopper Lies Heavy is like a crazy epic. It's more like two sides than it is a bunch of songs. Exactly, um, yeah. My band Hollow Boys, my old band, did a record called Believe in Nothing that the entire B-side just all flows together. And like to the point where we put the track breaks like in the wrong places. So whenever you would start a new track, you'd just hear a bunch of like ambient noise, you know, like instead of starting it and hearing like a drum beat or something. Uh, Yeah, it's hard, though, like getting it just right so that it feels natural and sounds good is hard. Like, oh, yeah, totally. You know, so I appreciate the lot of work. Yeah, I appreciate the fuck out of the Silent Hill 2 OST and I recommend just listening to the whole thing but totally if you're trying to not in your pt cruiser in your pt cruiser if you don't have one just go like test drive one Uh for like an hour and a half well they don't make them anymore so you got to find a used lot that lets you test drive cars Mm -hmm. which means you live in a better part of your city than i do (laughs) (laughs) uh Anyway, if you're trying to listen to not Silent Hill music that I think is still thematically connected and appropriate, number one, The Fragile by Nine Inch Nails. Um, A massively fucking underrated record that is finally getting its critical reevaluation. The Fragile is the best Nine Inch Nails record. Fight me. Mm. It's so good. Mm. Interesting. Um, It's so soundtracky and it has a flow like this. It has so much cool instrumental stuff and ambient interplay. It's got songs that don't have drums, but are still really like powerful and awesome. Um, And also I think that in terms of things that he would, that Yamoko would have been pulling from for this record, it definitely screams, you know, this album to me. Nice. Here's an opinion that no one else has. Um, Nine Inch Nails Ghosts 1 through 4 is his best album I I could give you that it's so good dude I think that that stuff is really underrated uh, in that discography It it's like a soundtrack to a movie that doesn't exist or something but it's great yeah totally no I, I think those are awesome um, yeah, The Fragile is another insanely long record. So if you're just trying to fill up your day with dark music, I mean, you could listen to Silent Hill 2 OST and then throw on The Fragile. And at that point, it's basically time to go to bed. Yeah, it's very, very sad. <laughs> uh, I like to don't be do it. Goth yeah. teenagers. Yeah, I like to be sad all day. So I love listening to this stuff. <laughs> um, uh, another one for me uh, that's maybe a little more obscure and not something that would have influenced it, but something that I think sounds like it. Uh, Boren and Der Club of Gore. Uh, yeah. Yeah. You know what I'm talking about. Great stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Great Hell yeah. German doom jazz band. Uh, <laughs> nothing like them. Nothing like them. It's like very slow, sad, dark, like jazz music. Uh, it's so, I, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know what it is, but it's good. Yeah, it's so good. Um, my favorite record by them, I recently found out, isn't streaming anywhere. And I have to listen to my crusty old CD copy when I want to listen to it. But it's called Black Earth. And that record mm. fucks so, so hard. Um, I absolutely <laughs> love it. But they have another great record that is streaming everywhere called Piano Nights. And then they have a best of that's on Spotify that's actually like a pretty solid best of. Um, yeah. But Boren and Der Club of Gore, if you want that kind of keyboard heavy, jazzy side of Silent Hill, it's maybe a little bit more reminiscent of Twin Peaks. Like, 
absolutely check out that band. Here, here, here's a pair um, that work well together. Tim Hecker and Ben Frost. Um, they're kind of like modern composer, electronic music artists. Yeah. I would put them in more in the realm of composers because their records are so like soundtracky. But they're um, both very like emotive, sort of sample based, a lot of reverb drench, prettiness. I don't know. It's almost like if you like shredded the best post rock band and then like took if, if, if like the best post rock band was a book right and you shredded it and then all the letters came out and it was like single letters and you put it all together and like wrote code about it <laughs> and like it's like this digitized melting amorphous blob thing of like beauty yeah yeah uh there's an there's an album called uh uh Rave Death 1972 by Tim Hecker. There's a song called uh, Hatred of Music. <laughs> uh, Hatred of Music 2. Yeah. Great track. You should. Everyone should listen to that. Hard Silent Hill vibes. Um, yeah, and also Ben Frost. Uh, ben Frost has actually been blowing up lately. He's done, like, soundtracks to a couple TV shows and stuff, yeah, I think. Yeah, totally. Yeah, so, yeah. Yeah, and he's got a bunch of great records. Um yeah, I co-signed that recommendation. You definitely listen. He to did the things. soundtrack to uh, Dark, the Netflix show. Oh, oh, okay. I didn't know that. It's a good yeah. soundtrack. Um, yeah, yeah, sick. Um, so another one for me, maybe a little bit more left field. Uh, I really wanted to highlight how much hip hop influence there is on this one, and we'll get into it mm-hmm. more with Sound Hill Three, but uh, Mad Lib. Uh, came to mind. Um, if you're not familiar with Madlib, he's a hip hop producer. He's done a bunch of great records. Um, most famously, he did uh, Mad Villain with MF Doom, and more recently, yeah. he's done uh, records with Freddie Gibbs, the MC Freddie Gibbs. Um, he's an amazing producer, but he's one of the. He's kind of a pioneer in my mind because he elevated like instrumental hip hop to being able to put out his own records and saying like, oh, like this is art, you should listen to it. Like him and Dilla are big like game changers in terms of that. Mm. Um, Madlib has a million beat tapes and great records, but I just grabbed Shades of Blue. I think that's a classic one that everybody reaches for. Um, that's a great record. Yeah. And if you want that sick crazy sample heavy but very like organic sounding kind of old school hip hop vibe like Shades of Blue by Madlib fucking listen to that shit mm-hmm. or any of the uh, early stuff that RZA produced oh yeah totally yeah <laughs> but of course of course but I love how Madlib was just putting out these records of instrumentals so if you just wanted to appreciate yeah. that side of it and just vibe to that side of it you could you know yeah yeah totally uh when I was a kid, I had a Deltron 3030 instrumental just because I like the beats so much. Hell yeah, dude. Classic yeah. shit. Hell yeah. Uh, let's see. Okay, another one that you added here that I totally agree with. Um, Massive Attack. Uh, yeah. I assume we're yeah, talking mezzanine. Yeah. Faux show. Yeah. So Can't go wrong. Yeah. The absolute banger classic mezzanine by the very influential trip-hop band Massive Attack. Um really cool record grab the kleenex yeah <laughs> yeah it basically took the trip-hop sound that they had helped establish alongside portishead and took it into this like sad epic realm yeah <laughs> and like 
bunch of great vocalists like guest vocalists on that record um very influential upon the sort of like dark trip hop side of the silent hill sound Mm -hmm. um let's see another one from me actually a couple these are kind of another pair so one of them is a band called asbestoscape uh, which was like this weird thing I found on YouTube from people just being like, it sounds like Silent Hill. And uh, they have a self-titled record. It's the only release by the band and the dude quit music. It's like a one-man band. Uh, and oh, shit. fuck, dude, sounds like Silent Hill. It's like <laughs> Silent Hill, but with like heavy guitars is kind of how I would hmm. describe it. So he's got the beats, the kind of trip-hop beats, but it's really slow and doomy. And it's got a bunch of guitar, all instrumental. Um I don't know. I really like it and highly recommend it. You can just fucking listen to it on YouTube. Sick. Uh, and then another one, which was like, similarly, I was trying to think of like bands that sounded like the more rock full band side of this album. And the first one that springs to mind are like one of my favorite bands from Scotland, uh, the twilight sad. And they're fucking awesome. Super. It's a weird band. It's like a mix of like post-punk music with crazy, like distorted shoegaze guitars. And then a singer who is just freaking out the whole time, like just like over (laughs) emoting, like crazy, like clean vocals. It's amazing. And they had like a comeback album that came out a few years ago called nobody wants to be here and nobody wants to leave that. I highly recommend. Mm -hmm. It's got that post-punk mixed with synths and atmosphere and just like really sad gray um it's a great record and once again it's like i think it's easier to pick stuff that sounds like the more electronic stuff on these albums so i tried really hard to find like rock bands that kind of reminded me of stuff and that came to mind absolutely well yeah one last band i'm gonna throw a little curveball in here there's a uh i believe they're australian it's a uh jazz band called the necks are you familiar oh, with them yeah <laughs> i found out of the necks because of Michael Gira from Swans right. talking about them. They're they're just incredible, like amorphous kind of like jazzy kind of stuff. Yeah. And I think it fits that vibe. Yeah. Totally. Uh, also Swans. Like there's a couple of Silent Hill songs that kind of reminds me of Swans. Yeah, and I've got Swans like in the there. Thumping bass. Yeah. I've got Swans in there for us to talk about later. There's a bunch see <laughs> it's it's interesting yeah, exactly. when I came when I sort of came up with the structure and I was like, Oh, let's talk about each album and then give recommendations. The more I realized that they're all really interconnected and it's kind of hard to do that. So like sound Hill three and four, yeah. I tried to gear more towards like full bands, but you know, another band that I think of when I think of the next, um, that I think kind of has a similar sound in terms of that, like amorphous, like jazzy, almost post-rock experimental thing, um, is the dirty three oh love it right yeah like dirty three cone nick cave (laughs) yeah hell yes hell yeah dude um yeah the dirty three are an amazing band uh that's yeah warren ellis who plays and is basically the musical director for nick cave uh and the bad seeds uh that's his Mm. band and the violinist yeah yep dude talk about fuck what a like that's he's the kind of musician that i'll never be it just like flows out of him like he's like exercising a demon or something well uh, i agree and what's amazing about him is like the the longer he does it the more instruments he picks up and every time he picks up an instrument Mm -hmm. it just feels like he was meant to play it like he's known as a violinist but everything he picks up it's like oh he's a great guitar player he's a great keyboardist like whatever yeah 
Dirty Three is uh, like the perfect example of a band that can make just like absolute minimalism work. Yeah. Like the the guitar playing can be like so minimal, and the drummer can be like falling apart in its rhythms, and it just like little pieces here and there, and then Warren Ellis with his like lyrical violin is just like tying it all together with like it's like a like a a, a rosary with all the knots. You know what I mean? It's yeah, whatever. Fucking Dirty Three is sick. Ocean Songs is probably my favorite. Uh, Nick Cave plays piano on all that shit. On like the songs on Ocean Songs with piano, that's Nick Cave. The last one they put out, which was in 2012, is called Toward the Low Sun. That's the one that I was mm. like really, I have on vinyl and I'm like really obsessed with. Mm. But that's one of those bands. Like just pick up anything. You're, it's going to be good. Whether or not you, you're going to like it, I can't tell you. But There's a real dope YouTube video of them like playing live in a hotel room. Oh, nice. It's for the song called Sea Above, Sky Below. Nice. And Nick Cave's on piano. And they're all just like playing live in a hotel room. And it's fucking awesome. Yeah, that fucking rules. Well, <laughs> I think that's where we're going to wrap up our discussion of the music of Silent Hill 1 and Silent Hill 2. Um, so, like we said earlier, we are going to be discussing Silent Hill 3 and its music um, as a Patreon-exclusive bonus episode. So, um, if you're a patron, look out for that. If you're not, sign up for our Patreon. You can check that out. Um, we are also going to be covering the music of Silent Hill 4 as the uh, supplemental episode for our review of Silent Hill 4, which is forthcoming. We haven't set a date yet, but we got to do it mm-hmm. soon. We don't have a choice. <laughs> Goddamn right. Um, but yeah, as always, uh, thank you for listening. And yeah, we will see you in that bonus episode throw some change in that hat yeah dude jar's coming around don't just pass it (laughs) hey guys ali here just jumping in to do a quick game club update i'm alone i'm on the handheld mic oh yeah you can hear it pretty cool it's different anyway thanks for listening to this episode the next episode is fatal frame 2 that's pretty fun because that's a good game uh and then after that we're doing the suffering you guys kept asking us to play it we're gonna play it okay that's it play those games have a good time see you soon